episode 122, The Pathway to Sustainable Market Share for Pharma and Other Life Sciences Companies. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Pharma and life sciences companies have traditionally been and continue to be very conservative in their approach to the marketplace. What's a synonym for conservative? I'd say low risk. And that becomes an interesting question. What's the lowest risk, highest return approach for pharma moving forward given the upheaval in the marketplace? I discussed this topic with Dave Dirk, my co-president over at Aventria Health Group. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Dave. Thanks, Stacey. I'm glad to be here. Sitting at the intersection of the pharmaceutical and other life sciences companies, and on the other hand, payers and organized providers, we over at Aventria Health are somewhat uniquely positioned to see the strikingly diverse ways that various parties variously approach the marketplace. Technology companies frequently have, that I see anyway, frequently have their entire business model deeply dependent on value-based care. It's VBC all day and all night. Whereas on the other side, pharma and life sciences are, let's just say, a little bit more wait and see. First of all, if you're comparing pharma and life sciences to tech companies, then I would say absolutely, but we're comparing apples and oranges. Tech companies are selling explicitly towards VBC, where pharma and life sciences are looking at that as a fraction of the market and not the market in its entirety. So I don't know that I would compare those two. However, I think that most pharma companies are putting their toe in the water Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that on one side of the industry, we have a whole sector of companies that are putting, I'm going to say, most, if not all of their eggs in the value-based care basket, where we have another segment of the industry, which isn't, and sometimes in a big way. They got very few eggs in the same basket. It's just kind of a striking contrast. I think it is striking, and I I think it partly goes to the conservative nature of the pharmaceutical industry, as well as the fact that value-based care is not yet the majority of reimbursement in the marketplace. So people are hedging their bets where the volume sits. And, you know, a synonym for conservative is lower the risk. I think it's interesting to consider what does inviting less risk mean? Does it mean not trying new things because we're not convinced that VBC is going to stick? <laughs> Does it mean hedging our bets? Does it mean assuming that the current market forces are going to be maintained in the future? What actually is conservative in a market of uncertainty that's rapidly changing as much as this one is? I think that's a great question. And I think the real answer is that people need to have information and data that shows them where the market is heading and how is it shifting. If people are looking at the most recent surveys and customer reports, 
that reflect the shift. Then they can make an informed decision where and when the market is going, and they can hedge their bets. But if they're not well aware of how it's moving and the data that supports that, and they're merely looking at what it's been over the last three to five to 10 years, then they might be in a precarious position unknowingly to argue that the market is not going to shift. It's going to revert to where it's been for decades, I think is a difficult argument to sustain unless you believe the new administration is going to move everything backwards. And I think that that would deny the reality that systems are being built to provide data and insights that are going to provide better information to make better choices. It's tough to argue the market shift that's currently underway is going to cease and revert. I think it's important if you are a big, unwieldy company, which a lot of the the pharmaceutical and life science companies are, it's like turning an oil freighter as a metaphor I've heard any number of times. So there's a lot of, let's just say, I don't know, path dependence or history, legacy, programming, and just thinking, which seems very scary to either amend in in any sort of meaningful way or completely throw out in the favor of new and untested things. So I think it's easy. It's probably the path of least resistance to simply assume that what was true yesterday is true today. Going back to the data relative to customer surveys in terms of the shift from fee-for-service to value-based care, the number of customers who intend to newly adopt in the next 12 months value-based care reimbursement initiatives is doubling. So if it was 28% previously, another 20 plus percent intend to adopt it over the next 12 months. You know, you can either be part of the solution or you can be on the outside looking in for these large provider organizations, but timing is what's paramount here. A strategy and a wait and see world, you know, in other words, a fee-for-service world, is probably very transactional. So it's more like go in and talk about your brand before and after you talk about your brand. If you aren't talking about the brand, you aren't selling the brand. So the idea would be to get to as many decision makers as possible and make sure that they are fully aware of the efficacy and safety of the brand. And from there, the provider organization will do the right thing. I mean, that's a very fee-for-service way of thinking. These customers don't only want to talk about brands, they want to talk about patient care and they want to talk about approaches to conditions and diseases that can optimize outcomes with the assumption then that the brands fit under that. And so there's an opportunity to work with these customers beyond the brands alone. If you walk in and introduce the brand before understanding anything, asking any questions about what the customer's needs are, then That's the very definition of being brand-centric. And we keep talking about being customer-centric. And sometimes I wonder how people reconcile the notion of talking about the brand first and foremost. There's some cognitive dissonance there. How are you customer-centric if you're leading every conversation with the brand? 
So I would ask right at the outset if you choose to be customer centric or not. And if we're talking about value-based care, what the needs of the organization are, are basically to produce patient outcomes. And I think the thing about producing patient outcomes consistently and across diverse communities is that you have to standardize care in order to create care improvements. And I think that's so evident and so well understood within provider organizations and within other sectors of the healthcare industry, but often not really thought about, I'm going to say, in pharma and life sciences. This idea that if you want to create process improvements, I mean, so many people have gone through Six Sigma or taken lean courses in the pharmaceutical and life sciences industry, but then don't necessarily connect those learnings to what their customers are doing. Because if you think about it, if you're trying to create care improvements, you've got to standardize care. If a provider organization starts to standardize care, then a pharmaceutical, let's just use pharma, you know, a drug is part of that care that is now being standardized. Unless you're sitting at the table and part of the conversations to help the provider figure out how they're going to standardize that care, then you just got kicked out of the reservation. You know, like there's going to be a roadway and your drug is going to be 50 miles off the road. Yeah. And I would add, you know, I think there there are three important objectives of these customers. So patient care and patient outcomes is a leader, but it's not the only leader. There's also market share. And, and we all know that there is increasingly aggressive battles taking place in the market today relative to share and reach. And there is profitability and reimbursement. So it's those three elements. What's our share? What's our profitability? And what's our patient care and outcomes? And and they're interrelated. They're not discrete from one another. And that's where the opportunity lies. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think if a pharmaceutical company wants to build market share, then it has to be part of a standard of care, which is endorsed by these organizational customers that are building infrastructure around those standards of care. So it becomes harder and harder for an individual prescriber to, uh, in Eric Topol's parlance, freelance. You know, it becomes harder and harder for a prescriber to decide that they're going to have their own standard of care, which is separate from the organized provider that they work for. And by the way, some of their compensation is coming from their adherence to those evidence-based pathways, which are being pushed at them vis-a-vis any number of health information and other technologies, as well as incented. In terms of where is the market going, there is an intent, a deliberate intent, to try to make more efficient, more consistent, more predictable And whether it is EHRs, whether it is other type of technology, reimbursement models, all of that is being implemented to try to reduce uh, diversity in terms of decision making and to try to make better adherence to evidence-based pathways for patient care. And I think one of the hugest points It takes a long time to build the necessary technology and content to facilitate a standardized care pathway. And once that gets installed and socialized and both monetary and time investment is put into place to lock down that pathway, 
it's not going to change anytime soon. No one's going to change a pathway that has been established for three to five years, which makes it a huge imperative, pharma and life sciences, as uh, Billy Townsend says, if you don't have a seat at the table, consider yourself on the menu. I mean, it's really important to have a seat at the table right now because any pathway that doesn't include the appropriate pharmaceutical treatment as part of that pathway, it's going to be another three to five years before your large provider organization is going to be open for a discussion to change it. That's a huge point. It's one of the uh, guidances I'm often given relative to our customers, and that is don't presume that your timeline equates to their timeline. And so while you might not be ready to shift the way that you address and support customer decision-making, they might be actively doing it now. And if you're ready next year and they're addressing it this year, and then you have a three to five year status quo, then that can be very costly to you down the road. That's why I encourage people to look at the data showing how the market is shifting currently, then to make choices on whether or not to get in, because if you don't, there might be a lockout period, and it's not intentional. You merely have to look at the big picture, which is that there is great upheaval, there's great reorganization and consolidation, and so your customers are looking for solutions now. But they have to cover the full landscape. They can't readdress achievements every six months or 12 months because they have too many categories to resolve. And once they get one resolved, they need to move on to the next. Which begs the question of what actually is the most conservative approach? In the past, continuing to do what you've always done before is the blue tie, completely conservative uh, approach, you know, the least risky approach. But today, that's kind of been turned on its head. I don't think it's a question of if. I think it's a question of when and to what degree. I don't think people can say, yeah, we're not going to get into that at all. And the other challenge is that we haven't talked about, but it's implicit as well, is the ROI against that. How do you measure that ROI? And how do you ensure that it is handsome? And it's a tough arena, but it still begs the question that if you're not at the table and rather you're on the outside looking in, what will that mean to you in the near term? We think that the minority will become the majority in a matter of months. So whether it's 12 or 24, it's going to be happening soon. Even with the new administration, I have seen information that suggests that there is acknowledgement, a focus on value is crucial. Uh, and so we're not going to move away from that nor are we moving away from the collection and aggregation of data and the use of technology to drive better decision-making. I would further reinforce that point at, at two levels. Number one, we do have a colleague that is on the Trump transition team, and this is nothing that he hasn't said. Additionally, this podcast is going to air probably about three weeks into the future. So this might be old news today when uh, you are listening to this, but Trump recently proclaimed his intention to allow Medicare to negotiate for pharmaceutical drugs. And that elevates this conversation to a whole new level. Yeah, we're not going to move away from that. The momentum of the marketplace, and, and it's a necessary momentum. You know, it's been in the making for decades, even if the legislation is new. I, I think the the opportunity is to say, okay, we know where it's going. How do we forecast that? How do we 
work towards that and optimize our results in this changing environment. The statement, the old saw, no outcomes, no income, that's true for pharma as well? Yes. If you're a conservative pharmaceutical company and you're kind of straddling today and tomorrow, you know, because you got quarterly goals, what do we think the best way forward is? There is growing focus on the opportunity of evidence-based pathways and their application and the role that pharma can play in introducing, in supporting, in helping to create and driving forward this uh, set of guidelines in terms of how to provide care. Yeah, I do feel like pathways are the hub of a lot of things. For example, if you're trying to do innovative contracting, you really need, you know, if you want to make sure it's successful anyway, to have a a handle on what the pathways are that are are installed in in any provider that you're doing innovative contract with. Number two, if you're thinking about market share, it's best to have a have a roadway that goes straight to your doorstep. Number three, if you're trying to measure anything to a pharmaceutical intervention does not exist in isolation. And it's the pathway that provides the full methodology, which you can then measure. What's part of that as well, which you didn't mention, is the full patient journey. When does a pharmaceutical manufacturer want to influence behavior and decision-making and get the right information to the right place at the right time? Is it merely at the point of prescribing? Obviously not. So there's patient identification, there's screening, there is counseling and and evaluations, there's prescribing, there's follow-up, there's adherence, there's transitions. All of those issues are paramount to uh, ensure that you optimize brand utilization across that whole journey. And there's great opportunity there, especially as we've mentioned earlier, these large customers are struggling because there are so many conditions to be addressed all at once. You know, the other point that pharma has been well regarded for is their depth of knowledge and insight and data relative to the diseases that they're invested in. And so when these large customers look to pharma, aside from providing the product, the other thing they look for are insights. And so we can optimize that respect and appreciation and uniqueness that we have, and we can put it in a manner that these customers need. Pharma does have a lot to offer that is needed by these provider organizations. The experience that pharma has, the products that pharma has, the resources and tools which pharma has at their disposal, the data, the insights, the analytics, it can in many ways be a fantastic win-win and collaboration and partnership, assuming that everyone can get on the same page and understand the needs of one another. So one other point that I wanted to share is the way that pathways are growing in terms of how they're being defined and built and deployed. And that is beyond just care decision processes relative to treatment and diagnosis, which has been the historical point of view, that they're now growing to include guidance for the prescriber or provider across that whole patient journey. So it goes to patient identification, it goes to screening, follow-up care. The full journey for a prescriber is a broader 
uh, interpretation of how pathways should be built. And similarly, there's also the patient perspective. And so can pathways be created to provide to patients so that they are conducting the right and optimal behavior so that they too can be optimizing outcomes in their care. And so pathways are growing in how they're being defined and how they're being built and how they're being deployed. I think that it's a really exciting time to have the opportunity to build and deploy and support guidance and mechanisms in in the form of a pathway to try to drive better care. Yeah, it was funny because when you said earlier, you were talking about the point of prescribing, and I was thinking the exact same thing. The question today isn't merely what a physician or a prescriber will do at the point of prescribing, but is there a point of prescribing? (laughs) Because if you lose control of the pathway, there could easily not be a point to prescribe. That's kind of the larger framework that this larger context, which is becoming more and more important. In other words, if the patient hasn't been identified in a way that's appropriate for the brand, that's going to result in an issue. If the patient is under-treated and and is not at goal and nobody knows that, that's going to be an issue. If the patient goes home and is non-adherent and nobody figures that out, that's going to be an issue. So there's a, a larger context that is coming under control of these provider organizations, which if the pharmaceutical company isn't part of building that framework, which is ultimately going to control the point of prescribing, then they're leaving a huge factor at the whims of chance. Yeah. And I would add to that to say that it it incorporates the point of prescribing, but it also incorporates utilization over the long haul. And that is very attractive to pharma because once you get the brand prescribed to the extent that you can support its appropriate utilization over time, that's where the greatest value comes in. Yeah. I mean, and and I think that it would be everyone's ultimate aim to ensure that the right patients get the right medication at the right time and that they are adherent to that medication and titrated appropriately and treated before and after the medication intervention in a way that is most likely going to result in the the best patient care possible and the least patient suffering. And the most appropriate and optimal utilization of resources too. Yeah, for sure. If you're interested in further information about the work that Aventure Health is doing relative to Pathways, you can certainly visit our website at aventriahealth.com. Thanks for being on the podcast today, Dave. Thanks, Stacey. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at relentlesshealthvalue.com. If you visit the website, relentlesshealthvalue.com, you will also find a complete listing of All of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.